Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We'll talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Uh, welcome today. I am so pleased that you're tuning in and listening in. I'm opening the chat window right now. Uh, I hope you'll join us there, and I look forward to uh, to seeing you. I've got a lot of announcements, but let me say first off that Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Twitter, the new account is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S-M-O-V-I-E, BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie Beat, but the last word beat is abbreviated. So be sure to join me on uh, Twitter. And I appreciate it when you tweet and retweet about my guests and upcoming interviews. Uh, that really helps promote the guests and it helps spread the word to other fans and other filmmakers out there who could benefit by listening to these interviews. The official website is RexSykes.com. That's my name. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S. And at the official website, you can subscribe using the RSS feed button right there on the welcome page. You will always be updated to new information, cast and crew listings, hot news uh, around the country, around the world, uh, events, premieres, networking parties, and the like, uh, as well as these interviews, these conversations with professional filmmakers. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that is why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. Uh, you can also, if you're listening to this live, make us a friend, make us a fan, and leave comments. But the good news is, is that these shows are always archived after the live show. Live shows, you can join us in the chat room, you can ask questions of the guests, and then they get archived on the official website at rexsykes.com. In the interviews blog, there's a faceplate that has five interviews. It's got pictures, it's got names. That always rotates and cycles through. That will change as the guests come and as the guests go. But uh, there's archives down at the bottom. It says go to archives. You click on that, and there will be a list of all the guests who have appeared on the show as well as upcoming guests. You click on their name, go into the biography page of them, and about halfway down, a quarter down, somewhere in there, there is a bold link that you click on to listen to the show. If it's not a live show yet, but it's upcoming, it'll say upcoming, and it'll give the date and the time or to be announced. If it's a live show, say to listen, click the bolded link. You click that, you'll hear an MP3 or an MP3 window will come up, and you'll be able to listen while you work on your computer. But you can go to iTunes now, and you can subscribe to the podcast, and they will download to your iPod, to your touch, your computer, to your phone. You can take them with you wherever you go. It's Rex Sykes Movie Beat at iTunes. So go ahead, search, and go ahead and subscribe. Also on Facebook, and I appreciate it when people, uh, again, post uh, information about my guests or about the blogs or about cast and crew information or whatever it might be from the website. 
uh, on your Facebook pages, on your in your profiles, uh, on your MySpace pages. Whenever you share the information about uh, MovieBeat, it really does help us get the word out to others. And you can join the uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group or the fan page. So uh, take a moment and uh, and do that as well. I have a number of announcements. I'm going to start off with the uh, local announcements. We've had some sad news. A uh, couple actors. Local actors were stabbed uh, Sunday morning a.m. Uh, and hospitalized. Uh, Andrew Voss and uh, Jason Wazek uh, were both stabbed at an after party during uh, for the opening of their play. Um, uh, they need uh, considerable help, and some fundraisers have been planned, uh, especially for this Friday evening. Uh, in the Milwaukee area, it's at the Alchemist Theater at 2569 South KK Avenue or Kinnickinick Avenue. Uh, it is scheduled for 7 p.m. And uh, donations can be made at the websites for both of them at the Alchemist Theater or the Young Blood Theater Company. Uh, YoungBloodTheater.com, Y-O-U-N-G-B-L-O-O-D-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com, or the Alchemist Theater, A L C H E M I S T. T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com, and uh, information can be found in the Hot News blog. So if you need that information, go there uh, and listen again. The Women in Film Party is in Chicago, January 28th. That's this Thursday night. If you go to the Hot News blog, you'll find information about that. Also, they have upcoming uh, on February 2nd, that is Tuesday next week, um, they have the Midwest Film Festival, uh, they're going to be uh, showing Chicago Overcoat. It's a thriller that's uh, highly anticipated, so be sure you go to their website at midwestfilm.org to learn more about uh, these events. You can, again, read about it at the Hot News blog uh, at Rex Sykes Movie Beat. There's some casting information. January 30th in the Milwaukee area, there's a short film being cast. Go to cast and crew listings at uh, MovieBeat, and you can learn more about that if you're an actor and uh, you want a chance to um, audition. And uh, it'll also provide you information where you can send your headshots or resumes. Uh, let's see here. We have uh, additionally other things happening. We've got the Field Film Fest coming up February 6th at uh, UW-Waukesha in... Um, in Waukesha, Wisconsin. This is a film fest uh, I've been telling you about that uh, Firestarter Films, myself, and UW Waukesha put together into Saturday. Uh, again, hot news blog. You can learn more about it. The Beloit International Film Festival is the 18th to the 21st in Beloit, Wisconsin. Their website is located on, the, uh, on uh, hot news as well. And Firestarter Films has announced that their next Firestarter Film Festival will be March 20. Sixth, the Friday evening in March, that will be Firestarter Films number eight. We have um, information about the Northern California Screenwriter and Filmmakers Expo in March the uh, 26th through the 28th in Napa, California. That is coming up. Hot and Fun blog at the website, and also Kevin Sorbo Celebrity Golf. It's a charity, uh, a world fit for kids, June 10th and 11th in Las Vegas. Be sure if you're a golfer and uh, you'd like to help contribute to children. Uh, to check out Kevin Sorbo's event, uh, and that too is at the Hot Fun Blog. Let me just uh, say that um, Maureen Cashin uh, Bolog, uh, uh, it will be uh, presenting this Saturday, January 30th, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
at the Hyde House. It's, it's uh, information you can find on um, Facebook, and it's the Chubbuck Technique. I suspect that if you search for Chubbuck, C-H-U-B-B-U-C-K Technique, uh, you will find it. Uh, she has an on-camera acting technique program Saturday from 9.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And uh, her website or her company is Actors Craft. She's located in Kenosha, Wisconsin, so be sure to uh, check that out. Upcoming will be Brian Krause. He's been Leo on uh, the show Charm. Dallas Jenkins returns. He's going to be talking about production design and how movies achieved that specific look. Nick Mancuso will be coming back in February as well. Jackie Birch, casting director, comes up talking more about movies and casting. Peter Marshall continues our director's series. Uh, Reed Martin will be back talking more about movies and the real truth. Ted Hope, independent producer of over 60 independent films, is uh, also uh, going to be a guest. And of course, Peter Tolan will be back and so many more. So uh, look at the interviews blog, see who's coming up, and be sure to listen to all the interviews there because you'll be glad that you did. Now, I want to turn my attention to our guest today. Uh, he's a filmmaker. He's a director. I mean, he writes. He edits. And uh, he's a cameraman. His name is Sam Oster. He's made uh, a number of motion pictures. He was born in Chicago. And uh, we're going to be discussing some of the movies that he's written and directed. Uh, but we're, he's got a new one called The Return of Joe Rich, which stars Sam Witwer and Talia Shire and Armand Asante. And if you're in the motion picture business at all or in the entertainment business, uh, uh, you certainly should be familiar with those actors' names. Um, I want to bring Sam on right now. Uh, he's won multiple Echo Awards for his commercial work. He's uh, done commercial spots for uh, a number of different uh, entities, uh, Hazmat for Reynolds Aluminum, Open Road for ProtectMyID.com, uh, Burger King, Skechers USA, uh, LowerMyBills.com, and a whole host of other things. So, uh, Sam, are you there today? I am, Rex. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. I'm doing very well. Okay. Thank you. I I, I want to give you a chance to uh, introduce yourself to the audience as well. I, I uh, only mentioned a portion of what you've done. I, I know you directed sketch comedy at the Hardung Theater in Hollywood, you uh, uh, were second unit director on Ransom, the Rand Howard feature starring Mel Gibson, and and uh, right. and for listening up a feature documentary. But I, I want you to I want you to be able to chat a little bit, especially about uh, the uh, movie that you are uh, completing. Right, you're in post. Right, we're in post. Uh, we uh, wrapped uh, principal photography on it just before Thanksgiving. Uh, shot it entirely in Chicago and. Uh, we just had an amazing, wonderful experience uh, on the shoot, and now we're going through our five terabytes worth of uh, of data. You know, it's no longer footage in cans, although we still call it in a can, but uh, I've got five terabytes of, of footage, and uh, the stuff I'm seeing is just looking amazing, and we're, we're starting a, a, a rough assembly now and making a little trailer out of it, and... Uh, so we've got, uh, you know, a few months in the small dark room to uh, actually make the film come out the other end. All right, awesome. Now, uh, you wrote the story. It's uh, The Return of Joe Rich. Can you give us a little bit of the storyline and just tell us what it's about? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, uh, it's about a guy who's lost everything in the current economic uh, crisis, meltdown, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call 
whatever it is the entire country seems to be going through right about now. He's lost his job to outsourcing. He lost his uh, house to the subprime mortgage thing. Uh, his wife left. And uh, this young guy, he's, you know, early 30s, and he decides his only chance at redemption is to move back to his hometown, Chicago, and join the mob. Oh, wow. Now, and, and that is that the part played by Sam Witwer? Yeah. Uh, Sam plays the title role of, uh, of Joe Rich, and uh, Sam is uh, quite an amazing actor. He and I had uh, a really great connection, and uh, I, he's, he's been in a number of different things. He was a regular on the TV show Smallville. And uh, unfortunately, last season, his character got killed, <laughs> which was good for me because it meant he was available to do uh, my film. Uh, he also had a great, I don't know um, if your uh, listeners have seen The Mist, which is a, a film of a, Stephen, a pretty famous Stephen King story, which came out last year. And Sam just does an amazing, he's got a supporting role in that. And uh, I think Sam is going to be a, uh, a breakout movie star, I really do, to, to use a, a, an old-style term. But, you know, Sam has just got an amazing talent, and uh, he's got a face you just can't stop looking at. And uh, Tony, he... right. Go ahead, Go ahead. sorry. I was, I was just agreeing with you. I was saying you're right. And and if people look up his IMDb credits and things like that, you know, he's, he's done almost all of the major... Uh, you know, TV series, and he was in Milwaukee actually last year doing a No God, No Masters, a feature film with uh, 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 um, David Stratham and uh, Eduardo Ballerini, who also will be a guest on Movie Beat sometime soon. So uh, I think coming up in March or April is is Eduardo. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I look more forward to hearing more about your working with Sam, and of course Talia Shire, uh, uh, the Coppola family, and uh, Andre. Now, well, Talia and Armand, uh, it was quite a quite an honor to work with these two people. I mean, you know, I, I I will never forget the first phone call I got from Talia, and you know, I, you know, being really a twelve year old boy at heart and a, and a movie buff to the bone, you know, I, all I could think of was, oh my God, I've got Connie Corleone on my voicemail. And, um, you know, I went up and, and we talked about the script, and uh, it was just such an, an honor to meet with her, much less work with her, and she's just an incredible talent and such a hard-working person. She had notes posted all over one wall of her study about the script, and she had, she had dug into the script uh, at a level of preparation that rivaled my own. And... Um, and then Armand, I, I cannot say enough about my experience working with Armand Asante. I mean, here's a guy who's he's done 60 feature films, and he's worked with, you know, just about every big director you could think of. I mean, this is a guy that worked with Sidney Lumet, and now he's listening to me and doing what I say. So it, it was, I, I said it often on the set. Um, I, I just made a little announcement to the crew after Armand pulled off one of his his daily or hourly miracles of of acting, and I would say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Armand Asante Film School is now in session. 
please pay attention. And uh, just what, I mean, the guy was so aware of, I mean, not only his marks and where he was supposed to be, but where all the other actors playing in the scene were supposed to be, where the camera was supposed to be, where the key light was, where how how deep our uh, depth of focus was. And he would he would say a movie, or he would propose a move that he was going to make and say, oh, no, no, wait, that'll be out of your depth of field. I mean, before I could even say it. So it, it was just an incredible experience working with everybody in the cast, but especially, you know, with, I mean, that legendary talents that I, I'd grown up admiring on the screen, and here I was actually able to um, to work with them. Well, that's fantastic, and the enthusiasm in your voice definitely carries through. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's awesome, and, and I agree. I, you know, I've grown up watching these people as well, and, uh, and so it's exciting. And, and I think it's thrilling when you get the opportunity for anybody who, who can work with professionals so they know what they're doing, they know their business, they know, you know, uh, so I, I, I want to come back to that, you know, what it's like to work, you know, with these people versus, you know, other people who might be newer, uh, you know, and any issues that might surround that or any pluses, you know, because sometimes newbies bring things to the set too, you know, I mean, that, you know, but anyway, I, I want to get, I, I want to get a little bit more into, into kind of who you are, your personal and professional history so, for our listeners and, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm sure they're all already intrigued. I mean, you've, you've done screenwriting and, and you direct and you edit. So, so please, I'm going I'm to give you full reign to say, hi, I'm Sam again. <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm Sam again. Uh, I was born and raised in. I was well, born and raised in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said you take direction well too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good listener. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. Grew up in Oak Park. And um, had a had a, a, an amazing, interesting childhood in in Chicago. And it was just a, a great time and a great place. And although I live in Los Angeles now, and I've lived there for the last twenty years or so, and I still, especially you know, on this January morning, it's about seventy degrees here in LA, and the sun is shining, and I'm looking at the palm trees. And uh, I think about all those January mornings in Chicago, and uh, I don't know how I survived it, to tell you the truth, but <laughs> it's a great place. It's a great city, and it's, uh, you know, I think the thing that's very interesting about Chicago, it's, um, it's a quintessentially American city. I mean, we've got, um, you know, the old, the old time and old style ethnic neighborhoods are still somewhat intact, and uh you know, I'm I'm half Sicilian and half Jewish, and uh, so you know, I'm I'm very steeped in, in that history, and uh, you know, grew up, uh, you know, with Polish kids and German kids and Irish kids, and you know, it's like the World War II platoon almost growing up. But um, you know, that's what's great about Chicago. I mean, it's a great architecture city. It's a great culture city. It's you know, a great comedy city. It's, uh, you know, a theater city. It's just, it's an amazing place. And, and it's kind of cool that uh, out here in L.A., you say, oh, well, I'm from Chicago. And you instantly get a little bit of cred for that because um, it's, uh, it, it's a place where I think uh, real people are from, you know. Not that people from elsewhere aren't, aren't real, but I think Chicago's got a very... Uh, uh, a real reputation as a place where 
um, you know, really fine actors have come from writers and directors and comedians especially. And uh, so it's, it's um, kind of a proud heritage you bring, uh, you know, when you say, hey, I'm from Chicago. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm also a Cub fan, so that's the maybe the, the painful side of it, but that's okay. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. And um, I, went to, uh, I went to college at University of Wisconsin, and uh, I originally wanted to go into politics, and I wanted, but what I realized is the reason I wanted to go into politics is I wanted to change the world. And at some point, I realized what had really changed my world was not really politics as much as movies and movies about politics. And uh, so I came back to Chicago and went to Columbia Film School and got uh, a, a great education there and met amazing, amazing people and uh, really fired and uh, inspired my uh, enthusiasm for film and my knowledge and got a job working uh, at uh, a television station in Rockford, Rockford, Illinois, WTVO which was an NBC affiliate, and at the time, I think they've changed now. Anyway, so I shot news uh, there, and which was a great training for, you know, uh, a nascent filmmaker because, you know, we would go out and shoot three one-minute news stories every day, and you had, to, you had to make a story out of it. You had to, you know, learn about the people and uh, capture the images and then come back and with the reporter structure a story and so I was making three little movies every day and uh, so it was great training it's also you know in a small town like Rockford you go out every you know car accident or fire or robbery so it's it's kind of like being on the beat of a, a daily newspaper and uh, you learn about people uh, but in you know extreme situations you know someone's watching their house burn down and you're right there and sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. You got to put a camera in their face and ask them questions that they're probably not all that, you know, ready or interested in answering. But boy, you sure learn a lot about people and the human condition and and what makes people think and feel and cry and laugh. And so, as a as a, a you know a storyteller in training, it it was great for me. And um, I shot for CNN, and I worked for NBC Network for a while, and uh, then, um, you know, I, it was, like I said, great training, but uh, I came out to L.A. and met with a bunch of people, and they said, well, you want to make movies, and you're never going to make movies shooting news in the Midwest. you got to move out to L.A., and uh, probably the fastest way to do it is start writing screenplays, so that's what I did, and um, I actually got a chance to make a little film. Uh, just before I left in Chicago, my first feature, which I don't really even want to tell anybody the name of. Hopefully, it's been forgotten. It was, I really didn't know what I was doing, but it was really fun to do it. And it actually even got released. But uh, I made that, came out here to uh, L.A., and thought, oh, I'm going to walk right into my next feature directing gig. Uh, it was going to be probably about 10 years until I made another feature. Uh, that's the reality of the business. Right. But I... Uh, I started working on commercials to pay the rent and keep myself going. And so I was assistant directing, ADing uh, commercials here in L.A. and writing screenplays at night. And um, so I wrote many, 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 many bad screenplays and uh, 
started to, I actually started doing behind-the-scenes films on commercials. And there was uh, a lot of interest. It was just starting to be a thing where big uh, clients and big agencies would want to see a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of their commercial. So I started to do that and uh, got a little bit of notice for doing that. And then I, uh, I shot some promos for uh, ABC Network. And those got me a little bit more notoriety. I shot them on 16, and it was they were all handheld and black and white, and they looked very cool and unlike things that had been done before. And it's always been one of my uh, kind of signature things is handheld camera work. Uh, comes from my news background, and so I uh, you know, brought that style to these ABC promos, and and uh, they seemed to like them, and uh, it, that led to my first commercial directing gig, and. As you said, I've done a number of commercials as uh, director and and cameraman, and uh, you know I worked for all kinds of you know big companies, Burger King, and shot stuff for AARP and for uh, Chevrolet and for uh, Hyundai and Nissan, and so it, it was great. It's it's great training. Commercials are very interesting because it's a very it's a, it's a tiny little frame. It's thirty seconds. And you've got to be very clear in your storytelling and very clear in your communication. You've got 30 seconds to create a world and move people. So it was it was really, you know, very good training. But, again, it's not what I – like. did not come out here to make commercials and to, you know, sell product. I came out here to tell stories. And, yeah, it sounds a little cattle now, but to change the world. And um, I got a chance to make another small feature – and it was a kind of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing, and it was it was done for a ridiculously small amount of money, but I uh, learned a lot doing it, and it also got uh, released and distributed, and I, I was very proud of it, and it was you know telling a little bit of a moral tale and hopefully entertaining people, and you know it's funny because um, I, I've said it a million times I am not an independent filmmaker, you know independent film is you know, two people sitting in a hotel room somewhere and they're trying to decide, are they in love or are they living or are they dying or what, you know? And that's independent film in my mind. I'm a genre filmmaker. I grew up loving war movies and westerns and science fiction films. And that's the kind of films, uh, you know, that I, I grew up loving. And, you know, I, I think that what they do is they tell stories and they're, they have little moral fables embedded in fistfights and action and let's, you know, break the bank of the KGB or let's blow up the dam or let's, you know, blow up the Death Star. And and along the way, we'll tell you a little bit of a, a story and we'll give you a little bit of an idea of how to live a life. You know, I, I think about Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, uh, you know, saved my life as a little kid. You know, I grew up on reruns of Star Trek and I always used to think to myself, you know, as a scared little kid, and I was a scared little kid, what would Captain Kirk do in this situation? And that really helped me through a lot of, you know, pre-adolescence and adolescence and, and, and troubled times, just thinking, what would Captain Kirk do? And, you know, I think that uh, Gene Roddenberry would probably say, well, I just wanted to entertain people. I wanted to send them to a different star every week and entertain people. And, uh, you know, he certainly did that, but he also helped a lot of scared little kids get through, you know, their childhood. He certainly helped me. And that's what 
I want to do with my film. It's, uh, you know, Joe Rich is about a guy who's facing a really hard time and uh, unsure of which way to go and how to, how to survive and how to redeem himself. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a gangster picture, you know. It's a mob movie, which I grew up loving. But hopefully it's also got a little bit of a, a lesson in there. Maybe it's got a little bit of a model for, you know, scared guys and girls who might be facing tough times now and saying, how do you get through it? How do, how do you keep your, your humanity alive? And so, anyway, <laughs> I've been rambling on here a while. Rex, save me. No, that's fantastic. It really is. I'm glad that you shared that. And, you know, and people are, you know, the phrases were time binders and meaning makers, meaning that, you know, we obviously deal with time frames, you know, in, in our life. When we look back in history or to the future, you know, we're able to make sense of time. But we also are able to extract meaning from pretty much anything. If you threw five stones out together in you know, the middle of the desert and somebody stumbled across them, they could create stories around that or, or find meaning in, in the assembly of, of how these rocks are, are, even if they're randomly distributed, they, they could, you know, whether that meaning is accurate or correct or right or truthful is, is another story. But, but, you know, you're setting out to make a story. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating, but you're setting out to make a story to help, you know, uh, illustrate, you know, what you said, fables or points of view or morals to a story or, or something that could change people. And and some people don't think of, of uh, our business as, as something as transformative um, as, as what you're talking about, but it, it certainly can be. And I loved, I loved what you said about, you know, relying on Captain's Kirk's, Captain Kirk's inner advice, uh, you know, in going through life. And, <laughs> So uh, I think that's fabulous. Now, uh, I'm going to take a short break because we actually are at that halfway point, and uh, I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to come right back. You're listening to Rex hey, Movie Beat, and the official website is rexsikes.com. Please, you know, uh, uh, keep retweeting, keep Facebooking and MySpacing and, and, and sharing uh, this website and these interviews to all of your friends, your industry connections, and your and uh, your family. And if you find out about something coming up anywhere in the world before I do, please uh, go ahead and email me, and I'll try and get it up on the website in a timely fashion after I investigate it and make sure about it. Also, if you've got books and tapes and, and DVDs and movies and, and products that you're trying to send me, then use the contact information on the website, and uh, I'm always happy to take a look at those things. So thanks so, so much. Now, I, back to our conversation with Sam. Sam, I could tell already, you know, we're going to do multiple shows because we've got a lot to talk about, and I promised people right. you know, that we were going to talk about because because. He, uh, you made this movie in Chicago. Uh, you made you, you said you made your other one on a ridiculously low budget, but you got both of them, you know, distributed. You got both of them, you got, or, uh, got the two earlier movies released. So uh -huh. that's that's an important point. I mean, you made you may you may have made movies on a on a shoestring, but you got them out there. And for all the other people out there that are trying to get their first movie made or they're trying to get their tenth movie made, uh, budget can be you know. Uh, something that is quite worrisome and so uh you know we, we i i promise that we're going to talk about overcoming limitations and problem solving on movie sets and the nuts and bolts of of making movies and and uh so whenever you're ready and however you're ready uh you know we could we can start that process because uh, lots of things go wrong on a movie set uh <laughs> yes, yes yeah. all so um so uh, uh how about how about this movie how about the return of joe rich um 
you have, uh, you know, some brilliant cast members, and you're in Chicago, and you're shooting on location, and you're from L.A., uh, so tell us about it, and and, and uh, any particular things that, that uh, right off the bat were problemsome that you had to overcome, troublesome that you had to overcome? Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Well, I, I think I'd mentioned to you, Rex, that uh, on our very first day of shooting, uh, the wardrobe truck was four hours late arriving at location. And uh, I think that probably took about 10 years off my life. Uh, we were shooting on an 18-day schedule. And when you start your first day losing almost half of that, you know, that's Oh, about two or three percent of your total shooting time, and it, it was—it uh, made me a little bit um, concerned. But you know, the interesting—the interesting thing is—is is that I think with all limitations, I mean, I think Chuck Jones said it. Another one of my absolute, you know, inspirations as a kid, you know, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny, and you know, those are Chuck Jones. Uh, you know, he was uh, the director on a lot of him, the creative force behind a lot of it. And, uh, you know, he said limitations make you more creative. And um, although at the time you may be tearing your hair out because you don't have any wardrobe for the actors, so let's see, what are you going to shoot? What doesn't need wardrobe? What doesn't need actors? But you find a way. I mean, we, we shot some running shots. We shot some uh, Joe Rich drives of beautiful classic 1973 Buick Riviera. And so I got to do some beautiful tracking shots of the curves and uh, the, the gorgeous sheet metal and chrome work of, of this Riviera, which, you know, at the time I was just, you know, thinking I'm, I'm just trying to come up with anything to shoot, but is going to be great in, in the edit. I mean, my editor has been ooing and eyeing over all of our footage, but he especially likes those those sensuous tracking shots of, of the Riviera that we shot that very first morning. And, uh, you know, this was just a, a desperate attempt to, to keep moving forward. And, you know, as oftentimes, uh, it turns out to be some of the best stuff that you do. So, you know, it, it's something to, to keep in mind about limitations. I, you know, I think we all have seen big, big, big budget films that really fall flat from a story standpoint or a human standpoint or just don't move us. And I think one of the problems with having a big, big, big budget is that if there's, a, if there's an issue, if there's a problem, if there's a question in the filmmaker's mind, well, they've got the budget. Let's just throw money at it. And uh, it usually turns out maybe to be a big, splashy uh, solution, but it's not very effective from an emotional standpoint or a, a story standpoint, because they didn't have to think too hard about it and just throw money at the issue. So um, I think that's something that's really important for, you know, filmmakers to understand that you, you almost, I mean, it sounds a little bit uh, like an aphorism, but, you know, you have to embrace your limitations. And, you know, trying to shoot the film, uh, you know, The Return of Joe Rich, which is not a little independent feature, as I, I said before. It's this big, sprawling, you know, mob epic. And uh, to try to do it on the ridiculously small amount of money I had and on the ridiculously short schedule that I had, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of people backed away from the project saying, you can't do this, you're not going to make it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the limitations imposed by a short budget, a shorter schedule, um, 
forced us to be more creative than otherwise we might have. Uh, so I think that's an important point. And I'd love to hear more about that. I want to ask you, though, you said, since we mentioned that the wardrobe truck was four hours late and it took a certain percentage off your shooting schedule, how did you how did you make up for it? How did you what did you do when it finally arrived and set up and took all that time and everything else and and now you're beginning your shoot? How did what did you do when you had uh, those four hours? Was it just downtime or did you? Well, as I as I had said, we we shot these beautiful we shot these beautiful oh, yeah, detailed shots exactly. of our Riviera. I, I'm sorry. Right. But the thing is, as far as how, how do you deal with the fact that we've basically lost, even though the shots of the Riviera were beautified and never lavished four hours on it, you know, given the choice, um, you know, there were there was a lot of things. Luckily, I was blessed with amazing actors, so. You know, I, I would often get a great performance within one or two takes, and I could move on. Uh, an, another thing that I kept saying to my wonderful DP, who I want to mention, is his name is Lance Catania, and uh, he's a Chicago guy as well. And uh, I, I just, I mean, there's so many people that oh, I would not have been able to make this film without their help. Meryl Butcher, my, my producer, being one of them, uh, Willie Caritas, uh, another producer on it, being another. But uh, Lance Catania, my um, director of photography, just an amazing creative visual talent. Uh, the only guy I've ever met who can keep up with me on a set. And the guy who, in the 16th hour of a terrible long shooting day, was still enthusiastic about that next setup and was still, you know, pushing for something more and something better. And uh, so we kind of, you know, we said we knew we were in a hole to start with. And then losing the four hours off the front of the very first day, which is really hard, too, because, you know, you're trying to set a tone on that first day. You got everybody on the crew. You know, for the most part, I hadn't worked with um, the folks in my crew. Uh, and so they're all looking at me going, okay, this guy's from Chicago, but he's another one of these hell is he going to, you know, lead us into a ditch or is he going to, um, you know, be an effective, uh, you know, presence on the set? So it, it was a difficult thing, but, you know, between Lance and I and my producers and all, I was able to basically. Sam? Can you hear me, Sam? You you dropped out. Uh, we He's online, but we seem to have dropped. Uh, nope, he's gone. So uh, I'm hoping he'll call right back in. Uh, sometimes that happens, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We uh, have uh, technical issues with the trunk lines and uh, things that are way beyond my control. Uh, but uh, suffice to say that there's a lot of good things coming up. Let's see if I can uh, steer you to some of them. Uh, there are many other guests who I have yet to mention. And I will take a moment and bring that up on the screen. Oh, here's Sam. Oh, that was a quick call in. Thanks. Hi, there you are. Sam, can you hear me? Hi, sorry about that. We've been having some weather here in LA over the last couple of days, and the phone service has been a little shaky. Yeah, I mean, you dropped out a couple of times, and then all of a sudden you were gone. And I, and you, <laughs> I apologize. Well, that's just not your fault, but sometimes sometimes it's a technical issue here, or maybe it's the weather, but uh, you were saying at the time um, 
that Lance was uh, terrifically optimistic at the next setup, even after 16 hours of a long shooting day, and 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 then I I started to lose you. So ah, um, right. Uh, I, what I was what I was going to say is a, a little bit of the strategy we came up with for making up some of this uh, the time we lost off of our very first shooting day was. Um, that we would go for, since we had great actors and we were getting something very good even on the first take or on the second take, and, and although, like any director, I'm an absolute control freak uh, and always want every line of dialogue delivered exactly as I wrote it, and, you know, I, I was able to, we came up with a strategy of instead of going for another take, we would go for another angle. And I think that that's something really uh, important to impart to, you know, filmmakers thinking about starting out on a, on a feature that, you know, you always want every take to be perfect. And, you know, you can go five, six, seven, eight takes until all the lines are delivered just as you see them and all the words are delivered just as you want them. Uh, and which is nice if you've got the time and the money. If you don't, though, and as I said, the strategy we adopted was let's go for a different angle. Because, A, it really helps you have a lot of coverage and uh, it gives you places to, to cut away and craft a performance and tighten a performance uh, and shape, you know, the performances in it. But it also lets you get through your shooting schedule. And, you know, if you have the chance to do five takes, if you do it from five different angles, you got your scene. Whereas if you do five takes from one angle, you still got the other five angles you got to get. So when, when time is short, uh, whether it's imposed by the wardrobe truck going missing or that's just the nature of your schedule, you can go for that, that additional angle instead of that additional take. It can, uh, it can help you move your schedule along. I, I like that. That's great advice. And I also like the fact that, that I had that brain fart a little while ago, but the, but the notion that when the wardrobe truck wasn't there, you used the time shooting. And, and some of the best advice you know, I, I've ever heard on a movie set is just keep shooting. Just keep the camera going you know, however you can so that you're, you're accomplishing things as you go along rather than you know, sitting and waiting. And, and I, the other thing, and, and, and I want to come back to what you just talked about, but the other thing that I think is, is very important about what you said is that the, here's your first day. You're trying to set a tone on the, on the set. You're the director. You know, you're the, the, the captain at the helm, and suddenly you know, you're faced with, uh, in, in some ways, a fairly insurmountable difficulty. I mean, your truck is missing, and uh, it's not there. So uh, you've got the other crew who, who you know, you're just getting to know uh, looking at you, you know, as, okay, yeah. who is this guy? I mean, that, that's, I mean, you know, how do you, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, you, you, you say, okay, this is what we're going to do instead. You know, you make a decision and you go with it and, and you show that you're in charge. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting. That's where the Captain Kirk analogy really comes home, that you are the captain of the, of the ship. And, uh, you know, uh, how many Star Treks did we see? Oh, the lonely captain. And, you know, I, you know, what did Kirk always say? Just let me walk on a beach without any gold braid on my shoulder, without everyone looking at me for you know, inspiration or, you know, leadership. Um, the, the interesting thing is a, a couple of things. One, it is sometimes, and, and, and it sounds almost counterintuitive, but it's sometimes more important to make any decision than to make the 
you know, qualitatively right decision. And obviously, you don't want to do something disastrous, but, uh, you know, indecision or what I've heard my producer says, fear of shooting. You know, my producer, um, she and I have worked together for a long time on commercials. and She's worked with some of the biggest and, and uh, most renowned commercial directors in the business. And she's talked about this fear of shooting. And it's, uh, you know, I think that uh, directors are afraid that once they put something down or once they turn on that camera, they're going to be judged by that, uh, you know, whatever the results are. And, um, you know, it's kind of, I think it's what makes writing difficult for a lot of people. They're afraid to put something down on paper that isn't brilliant. And, uh, you know, to me, that's a sign of an amateur, to tell you the truth, because you've got to reconcile yourself to the fact that when you're writing, you're going to write a lot of bad stuff. You know, I had to write four or five bad screenplays before I wrote one that even approached some kind of work. And, you know, unf unfortunately, when you're shooting bad images or bad scenes, uh, you know, it costs you a lot of money, but there's, they're going to happen. And it's not some grand cosmic judgment against you as a filmmaker. It's the nature of the beast. It's, an, it's uh, you know, you've got to shoot. And so if the first shot isn't good, make it better. Think of a different way to do it. You know, and I think that that's what sometimes that the pressure on the set and the pressure to make a decision can, can sometimes make you do it. It makes you, you know, again, it's the pressure of the limitations that force you to be creative. When, when you're not under any kind of, pressure, attention, you'd think, oh, that's when you can be the most creative. But I, I don't know that the human mind really works that way. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're animals that are, you know, we come from a hunter-gatherer existence, and that had to be some desperate times there. And I think maybe the brain works the best when it's pushed. So, um, you know, but the, the one thing that I did want to say, too, about you know, being the captain of the set or the captain of the ship uh, or the director, um, you know, it's, it is really important that you set a tone. And if everything is falling down around you and the wardrobe truck doesn't show up and everybody's freaking out, you know, everyone is going to be looking to you for their example for how to behave. And if you're calm, if you're cool, if you're respectful to people, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as you may be able to tell, kind of a high energy, something of an excitable boy. But, um, you know, I'm not a screamer. And I really, I really believe in treating people with respect. I'm, I'm, I can be a tough taskmaster at times, but I don't believe in yelling. I don't believe in cursing. I don't believe in, uh, you know, not treating people with respect. And, uh, you know, my grandmother used to say, the fish stinks from the head down. And everyone on a set is going to take their cue from how the director behaves. And if you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off because the wardrobe truck isn't there, that's how everyone's going to behave. If you're calm, if you're cool, if you make a decision, um, that's, you know, again, is going to set a tone and an example for people. And, and that's, that's really important. Uh, I remember something that some guy said. I was reading a book about Bridge Too Far, you know, the great war movie that was directed by Richard Attenborough. And um, the, the general, who was an old airborne general, and he was watching Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, playing him in the Battle of Arnhem, and he has to cross the street under fire. And there's snipers shooting at him as he's crossing the street. And Anthony Hopkins runs across the street, 
And Attenborough says, cut. And the general says, no, no, you got to do that again. And Attenborough's like, what's the problem? He ran across the street, the shooting, you know. And the general said, a general would never run that fast because he would never want to show his men that he was afraid. And I, I always, it's something that I have said to a number of people on set. I don't want to see you run. No matter what's going on, you don't run because it just sets the wrong tone. Well, that is absolutely, you know, valuable, valuable advice that, that you've been sharing with with us. And uh, I sure appreciate that. I, um, and, I, you know, it brings up so many questions. I, I um, We've got... Uh, you know, maybe like nine minutes left. Uh, <laughs> okay. But for today, we, we will continue this, and I'm looking forward Great. to it. Um, Myself the, as well. Uh, awesome. Well, and I'm glad you're here. So, but uh, I want to ask you a question. Two, two, two questions, and we we may or may not have the time to answer them. But um, one is, you know, you're a director, you're an editor, and you edited, and you, you, you know, you talked about the news days and, and commercials, and, and going back and cutting together stories, or taking, you know, cutting together 30 seconds in order to to move people. And uh, but you're an editor, but you have a you have an editor on your film, and I, and I'd like you to address the importance of that. But the also the other the other piece is that Nick Mancuso is a guest. He's he's done a number of shows, and he said the other day. Um, you know, a lot of times, great acting performances are made in editing. I mean, the difference between stage and film. You know, you can cut out mm-hmm. bad takes. You have the, and and you were talking about that too, about shooting from different angles and assembling things and editing. So, if you could talk about you as a director working with editors and creating performances uh, on film through editing, I, I think that would be a, a a great way to kind of close out the show and maybe to pick up, you know, in the next, or we'll pick up wherever we are. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my first feature, I had an editor on that as well. Even though I, you know, edited a lot of my own stuff, my short, my shorter things. When it comes to features, um, there's a couple of points to it. One, uh, an editor is so vital in shaping performances, shaping the rhythm and tone and feel of a film. And I think there's, I think a lot of times directors, because of their control issues, you know, want to have their fingers on the on the buttons. And I think the problem with that is when you've been with a, a film, you know, I, I've been working on this on Joe Rich for three years uh, in the writing and the development in the shooting of some of the documentary elements. That's another aspect I'd love to talk about because our documentary elements that are going to be incorporated into the narrative of uh, Joe Rich. But when you've been with a project for that long, and then you come down and you sit down in front of the editing console and say, okay, now I'm going to start to cut this, it's very hard to maintain any context, any sense of objectivity. You're so close to the material that it's very... uh, your, Your point of view about story points about um, the effectiveness of actors. You're so close to the story, you no longer need to understand, well, how did he get here, and why is he going into that building, and why does he have the gun there? You know it all. So you tend to be short-circuiting those um, 
story points, the, the explanations of character, of motivation, of story. And an editor is going to bring a fresh set of eyes to that. And he's going to say, well, wait a second. The audience isn't as up on the story as you are, Sam. They didn't write it. They didn't shoot it. They haven't been living with it for three years. They need to understand why is he going in that building. So we need this shot, or we need a little bit longer take, or we need that line of dialogue that says why. You're, you're ready. You, you know, as, as the filmmaker who's been working with it for so long, you want to get to it. And, you know, films, you know, they call it moving pictures for a reason, and films have to move. But if you're moving too fast and you're not explaining to people the important story points or character points, or emotional points, then you're going to blow right by them and it's not going to resonate with them emotionally and you're, you're going to have a film that doesn't work. So it's, it's I think, you know, bringing in an editor who, who has a fresher set of eyes than you is very important. Also, you know, although I write, I shoot, I direct, I, I hired Lance Catania to be my DP because he is a visual stylist and that is his area of specialization. And he's going to bring things to it that I would never think of. Same thing with an editor. He's going to bring a sense of rhythm to it or a sense of economy to it that hopefully I wouldn't have thought of. I mean, you hire people as a director. You gather your crew around you to complement uh, your talents and to add to the creativity you're going to put up there on the screen. You know, it's the whole thing about, uh, you know, film as an expression of one person's vision, the auteur theory. While uh, the director is certainly the guiding force to it, you know, the, the actors are going to bring things to it that, you know, even, even actor directors, and I don't know how anybody does that. I wouldn't even dream of it. But, uh, you know, you hire a guy like Armand DeSante or Sam Whitwer because they're going to do things in front of that camera that, you know, you didn't think about those three years you were writing the script, but it's some kind of inspiration that grabs them because they're remarkable and talented people. The same thing with your editor. The same thing with your director of photography. The same thing with your production designer, your set people. Everybody, I mean, I tell everybody on my set, everybody is a filmmaker here. You know, this is your film, too. And I want everyone to have that sense of, of ownership of it and to have that sense of how can I, you know, make this the most creative thing, make this the most emotionally resonant piece of film that is possible. And unless everyone feels like they're a part of it and everybody has a, an emotional stake in it, it ain't going to happen. That is excellent, absolutely excellent advice. And, again, we've got uh, now about two minutes, three minutes left. Uh, I, wa I want to say – go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just oh, – it's just a few how the time has gone by. It goes by very quickly. I know. I know. It's, it's, it, it, it just flies by. Um, you know, I want to talk – when we come back in our next show, you know, we'll talk about, continue to talk about editing and acting, creating acting performances, working with the DPs. Um, uh, I also want to talk to you about you shot this on the red, and you you, you know you can talk yeah. all about shooting and then especially editing on the uh, you know once you've you know done uh, the shooting you know, what it takes to edit the red footage. But um, yeah, we could do a whole show on the workflow of the red for a film out. It's um, it's quite quite interesting, but boy, it, it's uh, it's an amazing piece of equipment, and we've got some incredible images because of uh, the red. 
and and we may do a whole show on the red. I think that's a good idea. The um, uh, but but in the, in the two minutes that we have left, you know, arguably some people say, well, you know what? I don't have the budget. I don't have anything. I can't hire an editor. That's why I do everything myself. I'm the costume designer. I'm the production designer. I'm the DP. I'm the editor. I'm the you know the director. Um, can you can you in about a minute and a half address that? I mean. I mean, I think you did excellently in, in terms of, you know, go out and hire what you can or, or get what you can so that you have a, a different set of eyes and people who have expertise in those areas. But Well, I, I think that if, if – I would say two things about that, uh, Rex. One, part of your job as a director is to attract people to your project. And so it, I, I did a lot of film and a lot of projects where I had zero dollars, nothing. And part of my job was to get people excited enough about the project that we were about to make that they were willing to work for nothing, that they believed enough in what was being put up on the screen to, you know, volunteer their time. And that's part of your job, too, is to inspire people around you to sign up for the cause. You know, I mean, even on Joe Rich, although nobody worked for nothing, lots of people for, lots of people worked for close to nothing. Because uh, you know it was a very low budget film, but uh, you know hopefully they were inspired to work hard, be creative. They were inspired to work hard and be creative. I I got amazing things out of every person on my crew, down to you know art assistants who you know some of whom were making a ridiculously little amount of money. Um, so that's part of it. The other thing, if if you are absolutely forced to be your own editor and your own DP. I think the thing is, is in the stages of the film, show it to people and be open to what they tell you. If if you have a cut of your film that you've cut yourself, show it to somebody who's disconnected from the project at all, you know, and then listen to what they say. If they say, gosh, I don't understand the story. Why did he go into that building? Then you know, okay, I, I'm I'm moving too quickly. I haven't explained something well enough. And I think that's one way around that uh, that conundrum of not not having the money to have you know an, an independent voice at the editing bench or an independent voice behind the camera. Well, Sam, I, I want to thank you. I think you've just provided absolutely excellent advice today. It's it's been a pleasure having you. As I said, your voice conveys your enthusiasm, and uh, <laughs> and it was also interesting to hear you say you're not a screamer and you don't believe in cursing and and you, to treat people with respect. Because I was sitting here listening, going. I can't imagine you being a tyrant. I can't. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, uh, a taskmaster is an appropriate term. You know, to get the best from the people you work with and to do it in a way that's respectful to others, uh, that lets them feel good. And, and I love and uh, about attracting people to your project, that that is part of your job as well. Sam, thank you so much for being here today. I'll be talking to you. Thank you, Rex. We can schedule, and uh, I look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thank you, sir, and, and hi to everybody in Chicago, and thank you for being so welcoming to our film. And without you guys, without my crew, and without the people of Chicago, it never would have happened. All right. I'll talk to you in just a couple minutes, Sam. Okay. Thanks, Rex.
<clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in and for listening today uh, to my fascinating guest, Mr. Sam Oster, uh, talking about uh, getting his movie made. Remember to become a Facebook group member of Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Join the fan page. Retweet at Rex Sykes Movie BT, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, uh, all, all about these uh, interviews. And be sure to go back, listen to all of the archived interviews. There are such great interviews there. You're going to want to listen to them all. And... Uh, be sure to tune in for the ones all coming up because there are great ones coming up. Uh, that's it for today. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.